Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. Today, we're back with part nine, or the penultimate episode of our three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic interview series. Now, for those of you just tuning in, in this series, I'm speaking with a wide variety of friends, colleagues, and professionals working in the film industry, largely in my backyard of Oklahoma. I'll be speaking with each guest about how the pandemic has impacted their line of work before talking about the three movies that helped them get through it all. Our guest today is Yusuf Kazemi, the Oklahoma Film and Music Office Outreach and Production Manager. I'll be talking with Yusuf about how the pandemic impacted Oklahoma's film productions before discussing how his team pivoted and turned those unprecedented times into a period field with silver linings before closing out our conversation by hearing his three film selections. Now, before we go any further, I did just want to remind you listeners today that if you do enjoy the interview, please consider leaving us a rating and a review and a follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast app. It really is the most impactful way you can support all the things we're doing on the Cinematic Schematic at this time. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about today's very special guest, Yusuf. Within two years of being at the Oklahoma Film and Music Office, Yusuf was promoted to the Locations Coordinator for the Oklahoma Film and Music Office, where he served in this role for nearly a decade. Now, as the Outreach and Production Manager, Yusuf works actively to engage statewide community development in support of the state's film and television industry through the Oklahoma Film and Music Office's Oklahoma Film-Friendly Community Program, while also continuing to provide locations, permitting, and logistical support for productions filming on location here in Oklahoma. Additionally, Yusuf has an active role in coordinating the Oklahoma Film and Music Office participation at both national and local events, such as the Sundance Film Festival, the Dead Center Film Festival, and other related industry events. Now, Yusuf isn't just a man working in the Oklahoma Film and Music Office. He is also a very talented writer, director, producer. He has written, directed, and produced a number of award-winning short film projects, including Yes, We're Open and The Stand-In, which was named the 2019 Best Oklahoma Short Film at the Dead Center Film Festival. Yusuf also serves on the board for Oklahoma City's Rodeo Cinema and actively supports local organizations Free Mom Hugs, other options, and yes, love OKC. So, of course, Yusuf is a real mover and shaker. He's out there doing all things film, but you don't have to take my word for it. Let's go ahead and jump on into today's interview. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to be rejoined by a returning guest, Yusuf Kazmi, uh, who in this capacity today is joining us as the Oklahoma Film and Music Office Outreach and Production Manager. Yusuf, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Wonderful. Well, you know, this series is looking back at 2020. We're actually recording this in, at the very start of April, so it's pretty late into the year. But I, I really wanted to to speak with you, Yusuf, today because 2020, despite all the things happening in the world, seemed like it was a really interesting, if not positive uh, year for Oklahoma film and, and music and television. So I just wanted to talk with you a little bit today about what, what maybe that looked like from your perspective. Overall, how would you say, we're in the fingers crossed tail into the pandemic, how are you feeling today overall about 
just the world and Oklahoma film and music? You know, personally speaking, as we're sitting here today, it feels like we lived a decade in the span of a little over a year. But honestly, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And I I feel the most positive and hopeful I felt in a long time. You know, last year, 2020 was, I hate to keep using the word unprecedented, but it truly was for so many people. And um, I feel like we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And to your point, you know, taking silver linings where you can out of every situation, Oklahoma's film industry, though, of course, it had some starts and stops, had a pretty great year last year, all things considered. And I think many of us are grateful for that. And then personally, you know, I'm double dose, so I'm feeling good and safe about um, starting to get back out there myself. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's great news. Congratulations on the on the double dose. Thank you. <laughs> Yusuf, I'm gonna, I, I know this is crazy. I want to step back into the, the less exciting time or maybe sure. previous to the pandemic. So if you could tell me a little bit about your perspective. So as the outreach and production office manager for the Oklahoma Film Music Office, what exactly did your day-to-day look like before the pandemic? That's a great and interesting question because funny enough, my I was previously the film and locations coordinator and right at the beginning of the year, my title changed and I became the outreach and production manager. And so uh, we started the year with one set of plans uh, for my new position, but, you know, had to pivot much like many people in many industries. And so I guess I should start by saying, um, you know, my role, so a lot of things didn't change. Um, I am still, I typically in my role deal with non-incentive or non-rebate functions of the office. So whether it's local filmmakers or national, international filmmakers, whoever's here in Oklahoma, whatever support they need outside of the incentive program, that's typically where I step in. A large part of it is locations, permitting, scouting, community relations. It's also maintaining a lot of our crew directories, location directories, some back-end things, and really help connecting the dots and acting as a liaison between the filmmaker and whatever resources they're trying to tap into while they're here. Um, In my new role, um, that mission has come even more to the forefront for me personally, in that we have rebranded and relaunched our Oklahoma Film Friendly Community Program. And that's a certification program where we're working with all communities across 77 counties in Oklahoma, trying to really help leave infrastructure behind with a designated film liaison, the creation of a permit, adding locations to the database. And and that's just kind of one scope of what the new position is going to entail. It's going to be furthering more of Oklahoma Film and Music Office relationships with communities and agencies across the board from Department of Transportation to public schools to to you name it. So, very cool. You're gonna. I mean, it really sounds like it was. Um, again, take silver linings where you can find them. It was a, a big transition year for you, career wise, and ov- obviously with your role um, with the the office. So, uh, I would like to hear a little bit about what you can share here. I mean, how did your team at the Oklahoma Film and Music Office? pivot initially when productions were forced to shut down about a year ago now. Yeah, absolutely. So 
obviously, looking back to March 2020, when things kind of changed here in the U.S. and Oklahoma, uh, it was a crazy time. And, you know, health and safety has always been a key concern of film production and television production, no matter what. But obviously, it came to even more of the forefront of the conversation, particularly at a time when so much was unknown about the the coronavirus and what was happening. Um, So a lot of our role changed to, you know, collaborative efforts, um, working with the industry unions, trying to figure out the guidelines of how is, what's filming going to look like if and when it gets back to it. And so uh, it was a lot of conversations with state leadership, city leadership, industry, waiting on answers, Lots of collaborative efforts involved, not just with our office, but even other local companies here in Oklahoma stepping up to the plate, you know, becoming uh, providers of PPE and sanitation supplies and starting to wear, you know, different hats, companies that may have specialized in one thing and then started to pivot to meet this local demand for growing product. Um, the, The silver lining, I would say, was just Oklahomans are tough people. That's the way it's always been with some of the things, uh, you know, we've been through as a state. And it was amazing to see how everyone kind of rose to meet this demand. And we were one of the first states to get back to business in terms of film production. And so that was a major collaborative effort between so many, our office, so many agencies, state leadership, locals coming together to figure things out. And then even more on the community front, which is my role at the office, we learned a lot more about the virtual world than I ever think we intended to learn. So, I mean, finding all new ways of still engaging with people, especially at a time when you're not really able to come together. So navigating the Zoom climate, the go-to meetings, the teams, all of that. And in some ways, it became an even more productive way to liaison with people in more remote areas because rather than asking them to give up two hours, whatever of their day to drive into one meeting point, we were able to really get a strong online network to talk about the how-tos, what are we doing, what's the plan moving forward. And so there are some really good things that I think came out of that. Very cool. And I mean, would you say at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds like, again, collaboration is the word I just heard a lot there. I mean, would you say that you feel that the office, or at least you personally with some of your partnerships, would you say that you feel closer to those partners now than maybe you were previously? I think collectively all going through something so dramatic, that's not even the right word, like, you know, so it impacted everyone. No one was untouched by what was happening. And so to go through it together, um, you know, our office sat on um oh, what's the word? Some, um, I don't want to say boards, but there was a lot of local arts groups and other things coming together that hadn't even met each other before. The leaders hadn't met each other before. So having those conversations, starting new dialogues that have had a, led to the future of where we are, it was it was really great in that sense. And even in the film location side of it, you know, It wasn't as easy to go scout and knock on doors, particularly, you know, locations when things were so unknown about transmission and masks and all of this. And so relying on virtual scouting became a big necessary tool, whether that's Google or pulling images from Yelp or or whatever it is. Um, 
those things became took on even more importance than they previously had. Oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Virtual, I mean, there's Zoom calls, virtual calls, but virtual location scouting. I mean, you know, it sounds like uh, internet sleuthing. Like, is that right? It's still, very right? Carmen San Diego, where's Waldo? pulling images and trying to make the best of it, you know? Yeah, very cool. I mean, so it sounds like you really, despite the setbacks, really innovated to find new, exciting ways that to really change how you work. Now, one thing you mentioned here before was that Oklahoma was one of the first states to really put films back in production after the initial shutdowns. So was it like May or June? It was right at the end of May slash beginning of June. And so we were very thankful that our Oklahoma governor, uh, Kevin Stitt, declared the motion picture and recording industry an essential business. And what that did was really ensure to productions coming in throughout the rest of the year that, you know, even if there was going to be a shutdown, these industries would still be allowed to continue to work as essential industries in Oklahoma. And that really set us apart Uh, from a lot of other destinations across the country at that time, for sure. And in addition to that, not only opening, but opening safely. So our office was working on our own considerations for filming an Oklahoma document that we published. It mirrored a lot of what the uh, union had done with their white papers. And so the combination of being opened now with the guidelines from the unions and our own considerations kind of laid the blueprint of how the rest of the year could go in Oklahoma to stay safe and successfully continue to work and continue employing Oklahomans who even in that two and a half month time when you're freelancing in the freelance world, um, that can be a big hit on incomes for sure. It seems like there's there was a, a pretty significant increase in, in the types of projects that came through, or maybe a shift in the types of films that came through in, in 2020. Could you talk about maybe how Oklahoma being open versus, you know, like Hollywood, for example, that had to, to stay closed for longer or uh, films being produced out in New York had to be shut down. Did, did you see any sort of shift in the types of projects or the number of projects that came through? I think definitely yes, to answer your question across the board, Yes. What's interesting, though, is we were coming off of a record-setting year. You know, we ended 2019 having done, I believe it was 39 films to utilize the incentive program, which when I first started at the office a decade ago, dating myself, you know, we might have had five or six a year. So to to see that kind of an increase in a, a decade's time really is quite incredible. And so then to look at last year, 2020, and to be able to have had, I believe it's 34 films, knowing that two and a half months of that time was shut down, that's super incredible. And yes, to answer your question, because we were one of the only states open, in fact, one of the the first to welcome a, a SAG approved production in May that definitely drew a lot of renewed interest, new attention to Oklahoma. So not only were we continuing to cultivate the relationships we already had with studios, independent filmmakers, there was now lots of new eyes, um, new people turning to Oklahoma ready to get to work. And so, yes, I mean, last year we ran the gamut from our first uh, television pilot with FX and Lionsgate films to 
um, you know, smaller independent and local filmmakers as well, all being able to utilize the program and to safely get back to work uh, here in Oklahoma. Well, that's super exciting. Um, I mean, I feel like as long as I've been sort of engaged in the Oklahoma's film scene, at least just from an onlooker perspective, uh, it's only grown tremendously. And again, Silver Linings 2020 was a rough year, but it sounds like uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the Oklahoma Film Music Office was able to position Oklahoma as a a really premier place to make movies, at least last year. But it sounds like that momentum's continuing forward. Thinking about that forward momentum, another thing that, again, I just wanted to see what your take here was that there's been a lot of developments in terms of the resources available for filmmakers and filmmaking in Oklahoma. Uh, the two that come to mind is uh, Prairie Surf Media's opening, of course, a soundstage in, in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, and also Green Pasture Studios, again, turning a school into uh, a really great place to film a number of different types of movies. So like from your perspective, how do you see these developments changing how we think about filmmaking opportunities in Oklahoma? Well, I should acknowledge that, um, you know, infrastructure has been one of the most critical pieces of this stool, if you want to call it, that Oklahoma needs to really support the film industry. We have so much to offer. We have diverse locations, hardworking crew, and we had some sound stages. I don't want to say that we didn't. I mean, we had some commercial sound stages and some associated with universities, but there needed to be more in order to accommodate larger studio films and to be able to accommodate multiple projects at the same time. And so with the opening of uh, Prairie Surf Media and Green Pastures, and there's actually been a few other developments since then too across the state, um, it has really set the field for a whole new ball game here for Oklahoma film. Um, I remember dating back to American Gods, which I believe was 2014, 2015, when they shot pieces of their first few episodes here. You know, they wanted a state that had the diversity of locations, which we had, but we did not have um, the soundstage capabilities to support that type of show. And now with these new entities and organizations opening, there's really nothing we can't do. We have enough space to accommodate a vast variety of project types and things. And that's a game changer for us, for sure, 100%. Yeah, well, well, very exciting. So again, I know we're already in April, but let's. I, I want to shift gears here. And then we're going to talk about the three films that you selected for us today. Uh, but let's look further ahead at 2021. Overall, how would you say things have shaped up so far? But how, how are things shaping up for the rest of the year? Are they um, better than last year? About the same? What's your take there? I think we're we're looking up. We're always looking up for sure. And as I mentioned, you know, 2019 record setting year, 2020 navigated filming during a pandemic and didn't really manage to lose any of the momentum we had leading into it. And now 2021, here we are. Um, we're still open. It's looking better than it ever has with the infrastructure you mentioned, uh, with now being able to host the state's first scripted television series, an actual whole season of a show, leading into films like Killers of the Flower Moon, and a slate of others that are going to be filming here soon. It is the peak prime time, I would say, for film in Oklahoma. Everything has been leading up to where we are right now. And again, it has been a collaborative effort. 
uh, of so many people from our state leadership supporting the film program to our communities rolling out the red carpet uh, to host these productions. Even more so, I mean, yes, we are the state film office overseeing filming across the state, but now we're home to two other film offices. The city of Tulsa has a film office now, and the Cherokee Nation has its own film office supporting the 14 counties of the Cherokee Nation. It's the first film office of its kind uh, for uh, indigenous tribes, and it's absolutely amazing. So to be able to have all of this here in Oklahoma it's it's a very, very incredible thing. And I think, uh, I mean, my personal perspective, I think the best will be coming soon. Very cool. And I want to clarify for listeners, because they may be familiar, the FX production you're referring to is uh, yes. Sterling Harjo's Reservation Dogs, correct? That is correct. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. We yep. were able, we were, we were so thankful to be able to host the pilot episode last year. Um, and the network gave it the green light for a full series pickup. And that should begin filming soon. And we are, we're thrilled. Again, you know, looking back of, you know, not having the opportunity to capture all of American gods to now be able to have this opportunity four or five years later to be able to work with um, FX is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Super exciting. You mentioned the other big one that I had to ask about, which was Killers of the Flower Moon. I know that's on uh, the horizon. There's been a lot of media hype. I'm on film Twitter, probably a little too much for my own good. A lot of people talking about this every time there's a headline or something to come out. There's always a discussion. Overall, like what what do you see as the the impact it'll have on the film industry here in Oklahoma? Well, to your point, I mean, exactly what you just said. It has been everywhere. And this is something our office has been cultivating since 2016 when, um, you know, Imperative Entertainment first bought the rights to this book. Uh, it's an Oklahoma story. Uh, it's a true story. It's an important story and one that needs to be told. And it is the biggest film Oklahoma will have ever hosted. I mean, even bigger than Twister, which predates our incentive program even. Um, and so it's it's incredible. I mean, the impact alone from a film of this nature it's going to have a ripple effect across the state. It's going to be providing new opportunities for workforce, for community development, and it's it's truly a game changer. And it positions Oklahoma in a way to not only be able to hopefully further professional relationships with companies like Apple, but also really help drive more um, studio work here to Oklahoma. Because when Oklahoma successfully hosts this production, there will be nothing really that we haven't been able to do from top to bottom, from projects of all kinds. So I think it's even more of an open door and a hello, we're here, we're arrived, come see for yourself. All right. Well, excellent. I know uh, a lot of folks out there in Oklahoma and outward are also all looking at the project and excited to hear more. So uh, terrific work and congratulations on the great year in 2020, uh, Yusuf, to, to you and everyone over at the Oklahoma Film and Music Office. Thank you. We've talked shop here, Yusuf. Let's move on to the fun stuff. I have asked you to bring three different movies that helped you get through what was an especially challenging year. And I'm very excited to hear what you've picked for our listeners, these are not in any particular order. So let's go ahead and jump into these picks you've got here. What is the first film that you've selected? Okay, so I'm going to wear my personal hat during this, but also make a professional plug too. But my first film of the year uh, that made it the game changer for me 
was Minari. David, look! They're wheels! Wheels? Where are they? GBG? What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. It was, of course, a film that was shot here in Oklahoma. So, of course, there's a little bit of um, a little extra bias love. But honestly, to be able to have um, such a highly regarded project come out of the state. And for me personally, what I think is just such a it's it is a diverse story, but it's so beautifully universal. It is one of the films that touched me. It reminded me a lot. I mean, I'm half. um Iranian, half American. So, I mean, I was born here, but I had cousins who who came over from Iran around the, the same age as kind of the, the the family characters in this. And so I could really see a lot of the cultural juxtaposition for them. And I don't know, I was just so swept away and so excited to see um, Oklahomans working on it, to see Oklahoma locations represented so beautifully. And it's, I just want to say people go see this movie go see it if we didn't make at least one minari plug per one of these interviews i do we wouldn't be in a good spot because uh it is my favorite movie of last year and um just super excited that it was made uh here in oklahoma tremendous story about an immigrant story an american story yeah uh great selection i mean is this one that you think yusuf you're going to revisit again down the road Absolutely. Absolutely. There's usually, you know, there's a film I'll watch a few times and like, honestly, it's a feel good film for me. Yes, it's it's a little heavy, but it is so charming, so well done. And, you know, I'm just blown away that 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 this project was made here, to be honest. I mean, you know, when we're for us to now put back the professional hat for a second, you know, we knew we were working with A24, which was exciting in itself because that company tends to release a certain, you know, caliber or awards contender type project. But then, you know, to, to see it on script and then see it come to life is always, uh, I love seeing that about all of the Oklahoma films. And, but this one in particular was just, uh, it's, it's a win for sure. I guess we didn't mention, uh, I mean, we've got big television productions coming out of Oklahoma. You've got films like uh, Killers of the the Flower Moon coming out of Oklahoma. And also, as of this recording date, one multi-Oscar nominated film uh, that very well, and this year, I think it has a pretty good chance at maybe even getting some big wins. It's a little unpredictable this year, isn't it? Based on if you're watching the trajectory of other award shows, like, like tag, um, yeah. which I'm obsessed with all of that stuff too. And I love seeing it, but yeah, I, I agree. And to have six nominations and to be able to again tout that, that, that came out of Oklahoma. It's just super exciting. Wonderful. Well, listeners, whether you're from Oklahoma, uh, another state here in the U.S., or from uh, out of this country, Minari, highest recommendation. I think we've said it a bunch on this show, but we're just going to throw it in there again in (laughs) case you haven't uh, gone out and watched it yet. It is very much worth your time. Uh, Yusuf, let's move on to your second film. What is the second film you selected for us today? 
this one will probably be a little more polarizing and telling of my brand. Uh, but the second film I picked for my own selfish reasons alone was The Prom. Hello, Interweb. My name is Emma Nolan, and I'm 17. You might have heard about The Prom in Indiana. I just want to go to prom like any other kid. All opposed. I know we all have stories to tell, and here's mine. Oh my gosh, check this out. It's all over Twitter. She wanted to take her girlfriend to the high school prom. And the PTA went apeshit and they canceled it. We have got to go down there. Yes. Raise holy hell. Yes, we will be the biggest thing to happen in Indiana since whatever's happened in Indiana. So first of all, love Meryl Streep. So whatever she does, probably going to be about it. So not only are we getting Meryl Streep in a musical, but in full divalicious form. You know, the, the story of this film <laughs> involves... Um, Hot, well, Broadway stars in this case, uh, going to campaign for the LGBT rights of a young girl in conservative Indiana. And so um, this was actually on one of my travels, one of the last shows I saw on Broadway before the pandemic happened. And I fell in love with the show at that time. And when I heard they were making a movie of, a version of it, I was so excited um, so not only did it have Meryl and a lot of people I like cast wise, it's kind of just feel good. And I love the message of the movie. I know it is not everyone's cup of tea or like a critical darling by any means, but if it wasn't just a feel good, lighthearted bop, something I needed last year, that was it. And again, selfishly, it reminded me of being able to travel of New York city of wanting to go back. And so for those reasons, it is on my list, and it is one I have watched a few times uh, since its release. Yeah, no, fantastic. I think that's a, a great pick, uh, Yusuf. I mean, I think everybody had a lot of guilty pleasures they went. I've talked to, uh, in this little interview series, we've talked to folks who watched a lot of, like, rea- they, they, their, their words, not mine, trash reality TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself watched lots of animated cartoons that are half an hour long because it's just easy to, like, turn your brain off and watch. So I think uh, for your money, the prom, at least that's got, like, a good message to it, you know? So I, I'd say. Absolutely. And if you can't get out to Broadway, it's the cheapest, I mean, for me, on a bigger level, too, you know, the 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 big musical is not something we get every day. And, uh, you know, for people who can't get to New York or travel, regardless, pandemic or not, being able to have access to those types of shows and that type of culture, I think, is uh, important. So even looking ahead towards In the Heights, which I'm super excited about, too, um, I just say get out there and see a musical if you can. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least sing in your living room, if, if you, even if you can't sing in the street. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, in the Heights, ladies and gentlemen, coming to a HBO streaming platform in, in theaters near you this summer. I'm also super excited to catch that one. I, I'm seeing we've got an Oklahoma awards caliber film. I'm seeing the musical. Both of these, by the way, Yusuf and my and what and the opportunity I've gotten to know you. Both of these are both very on brand. So I'm really interested to hear uh, your third and final selection today. So what is the last movie that that comes to mind when you think about getting through uh, a year of, uh, you know, quote unquote, unprecedented times? Sure. So for me, it might seem like a surprising choice considering the first two. 
Um, but I really enjoyed the trial of the Chicago 7 so much. At the defense table, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. <laughs> my trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me! You're the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. I am not too acclimated to Aaron Sorkin's work, meaning I had tried to watch the newsroom on HBO, his series. It was a little too smart for me, and I didn't quite hook into the history of it as much as I would have liked. I did not watch the West Wing, not not for any particular reason. I just didn't get into the West Wing. Um, and I had, I didn't really know what this film was about going into it. I just knew that he did it. Um, but man, if I wasn't blown away, not only did it um, cover something in history I was unfamiliar with, it did it in a way that I felt like was super uh, easy to understand for all audiences. And it's a massive story. I mean, because there's seven different groups and, um, you know, talking about this moment in history, I just thought the way it was done, the pace of it, Everything was so well-structured, and, and it was not only just well done, it was a mirror of what was happening so much in 2020 on the social and political side of things that I was just flabbergasted by the history. It's one of those movies where I, I Googled, wait, did that really happen? And did this person really do this? And it was a history lesson, and I loved it, and I thought it was so well done. Right. It's super cool. I think um, the... Like that's uh, one of Aaron Sorkin's superpowers is he's able to simultaneously take these really broad ideas or these broad pieces of history or these broad stories, dumb them down. And when I say I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I mean he like is able to take it all, digest it for you and make it like very palatable for like audiences. But also I want to make sure when I say I, I probably dumb it down is probably not the right term because it's palatable. But it also the way he writes his dialogue and the way he incorporates the themes through the characters, like it all sounds crazy smart and it's super engaging. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's very many other screenwriters who can make like a script or some dialogue sizzle quite like Aaron Sorkin. Um, that's really cool, Yusuf, because I, I didn't realize you didn't have the, the background. I mean, this is another Oscar contender here. I mean, this has been sweeping up a lot of the acting for ensemble awards. You, you think it's got a chan chance at an Oscar? I do. And, you know, it was, I thought the cast was just incredible. And yeah, you did, you said sizzling writing. Um, I kind of got swept away in it because you could, I felt like you'd almost hear the, the pops and the tings of like the beats. And I don't know, it, it can be hard to tonally pay respect to something so important, but also be entertaining and also be understandable and I thought this checked all the boxes of what, and it made it look easy. And I know it's not. And that's why I appreciated it so much. 
Yeah. Okay. So any thoughts on Eddie Redmayne's American accent? Because that was the first time I'd heard it. I don't know about you. It was shocking. Did it? Um, it was it, okay. Forgive. What is the Twitter sphere saying? I like, I love Eddie. Eddie as an actor. Um, I thought it was pretty seamless. It was jarring at first. Cause I'm like, Oh, Oh, we're doing this now. But I thought he did a good job with it. I, I didn't know if people were picking it apart or what, what Twitter was saying, or if it was just shocking in itself. Yeah, I, I don't know that I saw a ton of people, like, are, fortunately, because Twitter people and, and social media people like to argue about things. I didn't see a lot of people arguing about it. It was one thing that stuck. It was one of the moments when you're watching the movie and you, because, you know, we know what Ed, Eddie Redmayne sounds like. And I, I also really like him as an actor. So it's like one of those when it, it came out, I was like, like, you, yeah, I was shocked. I was like, I didn't know he had an American accent. And I actually thought it was pretty good. Like once you got past it, it was, um, it was great. And it wasn't distracting. It just was, you know, not what you expected to have come out of that guy's mouth. <laughs> it made me do a double take because I remember, I think it was one of those situations where when the mouth opened, I went, is that Eddie Redmayne? I think that's Eddie Redmayne, but now this sound is coming out. And then I even, I am to beat. I was like, okay, it's him. Way to be transformative. Okay. I definitely thought it was a lot more seamless than uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, In and Out Chicago accent, which was right. uh, which I enjoyed too. But his accent was a little less consistent. <laughs> well, and that was the thing too is I think this movie had so many pleasant surprises because I have not seen the Borat films, but I know who Sasha Baron Cohen is, and I know him to be this kind of outlandish, out there comedian. So to see him more still be the comedy of a film, but be grounded and really human and fully fledged. I thought that was super interesting. And despite the in and out accent, I was play- I was like, okay, he's got some, he's got some range within his, his wheelhouse here. Yeah. Anytime he steps out to act, I'm usually pretty, pretty, um, I don't know, just like impressed. Cause you, like you said, you're so used to seeing him in that satirist role that you'd kind of forget he actually has got some real acting chops. All right, Yusuf. Well, thanks so much for sharing those three different picks with us today. Uh, But now is time for the final rapid round, as I have been calling it. So you up for a little bit of a challenge? I am ready. In the next 90 seconds, I want you to just for our listeners, throw out any sort of recommendation films. If you've got television shows that come to mind, you can throw those in there. Music. If you have albums that drop that you're like, I loved it and help help me get through uh, the tough time. Uh, books, you name it, whatever pop culture you got, you can throw it in there. You let me know when you're ready. I think I'm ready. All right. And let's go. Okay. Invisible Man, Shifter, Breaking Fast, Birdie, She's the Eldest, uh, Uncle Frank, uh, the Prom, I already said that. Ma Rainey's Back Bottom, the half of it. Really good movie on Netflix. Palm Springs, uh, I See You, highly underrated Helen Hunt film with a twist in it. Go see it. Soul, uh, The Life Ahead, Palmer, really good. Um, Body Brokers, Freaky, United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh, Sabrina, Chilling Adventures on Netflix, Campy, but I loved it. Um, Handmaid's Tale. Oh crap! And music too. There's so much good music. Uh, Chromatica. Uh, Ariana Grande. Uh, I would say uh, there's so many new Oklahoma films coming out from Mickey Reese to Ryan Belgard to Golden Arm to Girl Who Believes in Miracles. Go watch an Oklahoma movie. Cheer for the people who are on screen for it. Um, 
crap. There's so much more. Uh, oh, Ratched. Um, what else have I watched? I binge watched so RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know. What's that? 15 seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, um, and back to Minari again, because I think that's a good end cap. Okay, okay. Three seconds early. I'll call it. We'll call it. We'll call Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great job, Yusuf. You made it. That's the hardest. That's always the hardest part. Oh, you- wow. It's fun. I, I, oh, man. That was fun. Thank you. Amazing list there, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out those recommends um, and appreciate the shout outs to all the Oklahoma films you mentioned there. All right, Yusuf. Um, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. Now, if our listeners want to keep up with with you and your work or the things you're doing at the Oklahoma Film and Music Office online, where can they follow you at? I would say, um, please go check out the Oklahoma Film and Music website, okfilmmusic.org. It has everything there. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to get our e-blast. If you want to know what's going on with the pulse of film and music here in Oklahoma, great way. Casting calls, uh, crew calls, resources for directory and a lot of free content last year during the pandemic you know we couldn't get together uh physically we did a lot of videos training videos all free on youtube our conference went virtual for a three four-part video series with a lot of oklahoma film professionals featured so i would just encourage people to take advantage there's a lot of free stuff that i don't think people know about that is there, that is great content and lots of valuable information. All right, fantastic. And uh, last question for you, is there anything else you'd like to say about any of those three films or is there a specific way that uh, listeners can support the work you're doing at Oklahoma Film and Music Office? Yes, I'd say just don't hesitate to reach out, get to know us, stay connected. You know, if you see something exciting about Oklahoma Film that we're posting, Share it, even if it's not us, us, if it's the Oklahoman or Tulsa world, engage in those conversations. And really, you know, whether it's our office or people like Dead Center or Circle Cinema, Cinema, really engage in the virtual opportunities they're providing. Uh, They love those numbers. They want, you know, they're creating it all. And I know it can be hard and challenging, but I would just say tap into those things. There's been so much content within the last year, but it's so valuable. Um, And just don't hesitate to reach out. We are here to serve the film community, to be a part. There's a lot we do that I don't think people realize outside of just incentives. And we can really help be a resource or point you in the direction of resources you might be looking. All right. Wonderful. Well, Yusuf Kazmi, the Oklahoma Film and Music Office Outreach and Production Manager, thank you so much for joining us on the Cinematic Schematic today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning into this penultimate interview in our ongoing series, Three Films That Got You Through the 2020 Pandemic with special guest Yusuf Kazmi. Stay tuned to hear who we'll be talking with in the final part of our 10-part interview series. 
Now, if you enjoyed today's conversation, I hope you'll consider rating the podcast and subscribing on your preferred podcast app. If you want to keep up with more episodes of the Cinematic Schematic or any of the work we're doing at thecinematropolis.com, I hope you'll head on over to the Cinematropolis on social media by following us on Twitter at the Cinematrop or hitting us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. You can also find more of my work personally by following me on Twitter at cmasterstalk. That is, letter C, Masters Talk. Now, I've already noted on our most recent episode that we've got a, a bonus interview with local filmmaker Charles Elmore that'll follow our final part of this particular interview series. So I hope you'll join me in our next episode when I close out this interview series by talking with the head of film programming and theatrical operations at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art, Lisa Broad. I'll talk with Lisa about her three film selections, as well as how the pandemic impacted her work as a film programmer at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. Especially if you're into more of the highbrow stuff, this is one conversation you won't want to miss. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you again next time.